Good morning. How is everyone this morning? Morning. So we are in Ezekiel chapter 8 this morning. It's good. New microphone this morning, so hopefully you can hear me quite well. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 8. Before we get into this, uh, let's go back and review a little bit about where we have been. Uh, here, the next slide here, we see uh, the outline. Uh, and, and each time we go to a different section, I'll have this outline. So what's highlighted in blue is where we are at. Uh, the temple vision there in chapters 8 through 11. So the plan is to cover those four chapters uh, today. Uh, but before, so let's let's go back and review. So the the first when we got into the text, we went and we studied chapters one through three. Does anybody remember what was happening in those chapters? What was happening in chapter one? What did we see in chapter one, or rather, what did Ezekiel see in chapter one? It was a vision of God, the appearance, the likeness of the glory of God, right? And then in chapter two, we get into uh, the voice that is commanding Ezekiel to do what? Right, he is to go to speak God's words to those uh, living in captivity in Babylon. Uh, you know, God tells them that he's going to a rebellious house, not to be rebellious like them, uh, but to speak his word. He gives him uh, gives him something to eat, gives him a scroll to eat, which is uh, basically God's words. It says it's it's full of lamentations, woes, things of that nature. And then in chapter 3, he tells him, he sets him forth as a watchman, so he is to warn the people uh, of the things that are coming, uh, of their sin, anything that God has, has told him to, uh, to tell them. Chapters 4 through 5 that you studied last week, I don't see Neil, but he covered for, us, covered for me last week while we were on vacation. Uh, what was it we studied in chapter 4? Object lessons, symbolic acts that Ezekiel is supposed to, to perform. Um, and then in chapter 6 and 7, there are indirect prophecies. So it's kind of interesting. So God, on Ezekiel's first time in what he's supposed to do, he's supposed to go out and perform these symbolic acts. So he's out in the town where everyone can see him. And... What, what, what do you think people's thoughts are when they come and they see a man laying on his side in front of a brick, eating defiled food, defiled food uh, cooked over unclean, I guess you could say, fuel, with his with his arm uncovered, and then he's prophesying against what? In, in chapter six, he's prophesying against the mountains of Israel. In chapter 7, he's prophesying against the land of Israel. All these, these indirect things that, that he's saying. So it, it's quite a sight, I would say, you know, coming out and seeing a man there and also shaved head, shaved beard. He's hitting his hair with the, with the sword. He's burning some of it. It's all these things that the people see. Um, and then in chapter 8, we come to chapter 8. Um, well, one more thing about chapters 1 through 7. So how long of a period is it between chapters 1 and 7? Or the beginning of chapter 8. So in chapter 1 we see it's the fifth year, fourth month of the captivity. And then the beginning of chapter 8, it is the 
six-year, six-month. So it's a 14-month period. So all of these things in chapters 1 through 7 happen at the same time. And since he's on his side for how many days? 430 days, yeah, total. So all of these things that he's done has happened. So while he's laying there, he's prophesying against this brick, against the mountain. So it's quite a sight. And so we get into chapter 8, and God comes to Ezekiel in the form of another vision. Call it the temple vision because he's taken there to, to Jerusalem, to the, uh, to the temple there. Um, so in chapter 8, we have verses 1 through 4. So looking at that, we're, we're setting up the scene here. We, we've already said it's the sixth year, the sixth month. Uh, and he is where? Where is he? He's in Babylon, but specifically, where is he? He's in his house, and he's sitting there. Right, sitting there with the elders. But at first, what is it he's saying to the elders? What are they talking about? Right, right. Over in chapter 11. Uh, God will tell Ezekiel to open his mouth and speak to them. But initially, while they're sitting there, they're, he's not saying a word. So he's, he's there in his house. They're sitting before him, and he's not saying a word because God has not told him to speak. Remember in chapter 3, uh, God told Ezekiel, your mouth will be closed until you know I say speak. And we see that happening in chapter 11. So he's not saying anything. So it's... you know. It, for the first 14 months, he's out there talking to a brick, prophesying against Israel. Now he's in his house with the elders, and he's not saying a word. Okay, and then all of a sudden, what happens? The hand of the Lord falls upon him, and right, he sees the he sees this kind of vision. There's an appearance of fire, and something like the form of a hand picks him up by the hair of the head holds him between heaven and earth, and he takes him where? To Jerusalem, to the temple, to the door of the north gate. And what does he see there? The image of jealousy. Okay, and then what else? What else does he see there? There in chapter, or verse 4, chapter 8, verse 4. He sees the image of jealousy, and he sees what? The glory of God. So the glory of God is there. Okay? Uh, as we go through, and I guess the, the next few verses, so we, we see that setting. He's there. He, he's in this vision. He's there at the temple. And then he sees four things going on there. There are four abominations that are committed. And the first one is found in verses 5 through 6. What is that? What is the abomination that he sees? We've already talked about it a little bit. There's the image of jealousy. What is this image of jealousy? Actually, we don't know exactly what it is, but are there any guesses as to what it may have been? Right. Do you, do you remember one of the kings that set up the, the idols? Manasseh. He set up two, two altars there in the courtyard. He also set up an image of the Astaroth in the temple. This could be what he's referring to. Uh, but whatever it is, it's provoking the Lord to... Jealousy, and it's also causing God to what? There in verse 3, he says, Are you seeing these great abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me go far 
away from my sanctuary. So the abominations that's being committed there, and, and it's just the first one is enough to drive God from His sanctuary, this image of jealousy, this idol worship here. But as you go throughout this chapter and you see the, the rest of the abominations they're committing, it's, it's sort of a, uh, I guess you could say a dramatic effect. Because he goes through and he talks about, he says, you know, you see this, that it's causing me to go far from my sanctuary. And he says, now turn again and you will see greater abominations. And each time one of those is listed, you will see that repetition. Go again, look again. You'll see greater abominations than these each time that it's mentioned. Um, the next abomination, so we see the image uh, of jealousy at the entrance of the north gate. The north gate will be where they slaughtered the animals for the for the offerings, those of the herd. Um, verses 7 through 13. Um, what is it that Ezekiel sees now? Here's the next abomination. What's being done? He's taken... Where is he taken? He's taken to the door of the court where he sees a hole in the wall and he's told to do what? Dig through it. And each one of these abominations, if you kind of notice where the position, where Ezekiel is. So he's getting closer and closer and closer to, I mean, there he's at the, the door of the court, then he's there at the temple, then he's inside, then he's, you know, he's getting uh, closer to closer, I guess you could say, into the temple. So he sees this hole, he's told, he's told to dig through it, and when he goes in, he sees a door. And God tells him to go in. Go in and look. And he sees what kind of abominations going on there. What are they doing? Idol worship. He went in and he saw every sort of creeping thing, abominable beast, and the idols of the house of Israel portrayed on all the walls all around. Inside of the temple, what was, what was inscribed on the walls in the temple that Solomon built? Do you remember? It was uh, made of cedar. There were cherubim. There were palm trees. There were open flowers inscribed on the walls. They were overlaid in pure gold. Uh, but now we see that in this vision there, that's replaced by all of these evil and abominable and detestable things. And also, who does he see standing there? Right, 70 men of the house, 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel. What does that bring to mind? Right, the leadership. The people who abominations. Right, exactly. So after, I, I think it, it refers back to, and it makes me think of when, uh, after Moses had died, after Joshua had died, who led the people before the judges? It was the 70 elders, right? Okay, and they were faithful all of that time uh, until after that, until the time of the judges. But here you have, it's basically the leadership of the house of, of Israel. Uh, there's there's one mention there specifically, Jaazaniah, the son of Shaphan. Uh, Shaphan was the scribe that read the book of the law in the hearing of Josiah. I don't know if you remember that when they found the book of the law in the temple. And that's when Josiah understood what was determined against them. And he went on a restoration, uh, tore down uh, the high places, tore down the images uh, that his father Manasseh had set up, or his grandfather, I guess. Okay, And then we see that uh, in verse 12, he said, Son of man, have you, see, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark, every man in the room of his idols? For they say, 
What? Here's a misconception that the elders of Israel have. What is it they say? Right. The Lord does not see us, which is a false statement because God sees what? Everything. God is everywhere and God sees everything. Uh, They do say that, that the Lord has forsaken us, but in this vision, not as of yet, the glory of the Lord will depart from the temple. It'll go up from the temple to the, or up from the holy place to the threshold of the temple. It will depart from the temple and then it'll eventually depart from the city. So you see the glory of God also, I mean, as in chapter 8, we see the sins that they're committing getting closer and closer up to the leadership into the temple. Then we see later on in chapters 10 and 11 where the glory of God can, departs because of these things. Again, in verse, what was it? It was in verse 6, I think. The abominations that caused me to go far from my sanctuary. Okay, so we see the image of jealousy. We see the elders engaged in, the elders, the, the leaders of the children of Israel engaged in these idolatrous work, these um, worshiping these idols. And then the third thing in verses 14 and 15, what is the abomination that's going on in, in verses 14 and 15? Right. Who, who is Tammuz? Right. It's one of the Babylonian and Mesopotamians' false gods that the women are weeping here. Uh, and you said the god of fertility? Yep. Right. Exactly. And if you if you search on the internet, you can find an image of this Tammuz. It, it's basically a steel type. What is it? I guess picture of this person, and and the eyes are missing, and when they light fire behind it, it appears as though it's it's weeping. And so that was part of the I guess you could say the worship of of this god to weep for them, or to weep for it. Okay. So we see the women uh, weeping for Tammuz, and then in verses 16 through 18, right, worshiping the sun. Um, where at? Right. Exactly. There at the court of the Lord's house, the door of the temple, 25 men, like you said, backs toward the temple, faces toward the east, worshiping the sun. Um, and then we kind of have a summary, I guess you could say. So we go through these four abominable acts, see the location of where they are. And then in verse 17, the Lord says to Ezekiel, and he said to me, he said, Have you seen this, O son of man? It is a trivial thing to the house of Judah to commit these abominations which they commit here, for they have filled the land with violence. They filled the land with violence. And then what do they do in addition to that? Then they have returned to provoke me to anger. It says, indeed, they put the branch to their nose. And because they've done these things, therefore, he said, I will also act in my fury. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. Though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. So we see in this chapter all of the abominations that, that the children of Israel committing. And it goes all the way, I guess you could say, to the top. But if it's at the top, where else is it going to go? 
Right. It's going to filter down. These are the leaders. They're leading the people and, and they're worshiping these idols. Yeah. It, it's going to filter down. And so from these abominations, then God in chapter 9 will implement the punishment within this vision. Remember, all the way from 8 all the way through 11, it, it's a vision that he's seeing uh, there in Jerusalem. So we see the, I guess you could say, the punishment carried out in chapter 9. Let's see. There we go. A couple of things happening here. So in, in chapter 9, the first two verses, uh, it's interesting. Um, God calls out for for who? Calls out for the, let's see. He said, let those who have charge over the city draw near, each man with a deadly weapon in his hand. And suddenly six men, the uh, ESV version says executioners, let the executioners uh, come from the direction of the upper gate, which faces the north, each with his battle axe in his hand. One among them was, okay. So we see these men coming with a battle axe. What is that used for? Right, to kill, to execute. Because of the wickedness, because of the abominations. And then there's also, there standing um, among them is a, a man clothed in linen, had a writer's inkhorn on his side, and he went in and stood among uh, the side of the bronze altar. So we we see um, God putting these people together, calling them forward, preparing to go forth and execute judgment because of the abominations that they're committing. Um, on I guess you could say most of the people. Notice in, in verse three, uh, we see the glory of the God of Israel. Where is the glory of the God of Israel? Right. has gone up from the cherub where it had been to the threshold of the temple. So we see this movement of the glory of God. And the, the glory of God will continue to get farther and farther and farther away the more we go throughout the, the rest of the three chapters. In verses... Let's see. Verse 4. The, the men clothed in linen are commanded to do what? Right. So the, so the people that uh, are sighing are, are just terribly affected and they don't like, you know, the abominations that are going on, they're to put a mark on, on the forehead of them. Uh, and then... Right. Yep. Yeah. yeah I, I think one commentary said maybe an X or a T, but yeah, that, yeah, referring to a cross, yep. It's interesting. Okay, other comments? Putting a mark on the forehead, where else do we see that in Scripture? What's that? What's that make you think of? Right, Revelation chapter 7. Yeah, supposed to put a mark on the foreheads of those. But it's not a good thing to have a mark on your forehead in the book of Revelation, is it? Well, not that mark. Yeah, so symbolic language uh, there and here. Yep. And then, so the people that have the mark on their forehead, what, what is, uh, well, we, they're supposed to receive the mark of the forehead, and then 
those are the ones that uh, cry over the abominations. And then in verses 5 through 7, we see um, the, what's going to happen to the others. So in verse 5, he's to go through the city and, and, and kill. Uh, also, he said, do not let your eyes spare nor have pity. Utterly slay, I mean, basically the ones that, that are engaged in this idolatry worship and is told to defile the temple. But those that have the mark uh, on their forehead, what is to become of them? Right, the executioners are not to come near them. Okay, so they are the ones that will will not suffer the fate of the ones that are engaged in these abominations or these idolatrous acts, which makes us think of. Does that kind of make you think of another chapter that we've talked about here in the summary? Um, sort of the overall theme of Ezekiel, I think, or chapter 18 talks about. Uh, the soul that sins shall die, but to repent and turn, God is not willing that any should perish. So we see how chapter 18 is basically implemented, right? The guilty ones will suffer the punishment from God, but then those that have not engaged in these things will be delivered from that punishment. Okay? Uh, it's interesting to note also where does the, uh, when, when God commands them to go out and execute judgment in the city to kill, where do they start at? Start at the sanctuary, right? There in the temple. And then in verse 8, we see uh, the executioners go out. Ezekiel was left alone. Uh, and he, cries, he falls on his face and he cries out to the Lord. This is the second time Ezekiel will cry out to the Lord. The first one was over the uh, unclean fuel source to cook his food in, in chapter 4. Uh, but now, what is, what is he crying out about now? There in verse 8. Right, exactly. He says, will, will you destroy all? He says, ah, oh, Lord God, will you destroy the remnant? of Israel and pouring out your fury on Jerusalem. Uh, Ezekiel may have had a hard forehead, but he had a soft heart, right? And he's crying out for those uh, thinking that he's alone, thinking that God in his anger will destroy the remnant uh, of Israel. Does that remind you of uh, anyone else? Abraham? Okay. Okay. What, what, what about in Ezekiel thinking that he's alone, that he's the only one left? Does it make you think of another prophet? Elijah. Okay. Jonah. Yeah. I, I was thinking of Elijah where he, he thought that he was the only one that was left. But God said, no, I've, I've spared, what is it, 2,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal? 4,000. Okay. Good. All right. Sort of punishment and prevention all at the same time. Okay. Other comments? No? So 
Ezekiel cries out, uh, saying, Ah, Lord God, will you destroy all the remnant? What is God's response? Verses 9 and 10. God's response. The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great, and the land is full of bloodshed, and the city full of perversity. And they say, The Lord has forsaken the land, and the Lord does not see. You know, what, what the elders of Israel thought there in chapter 8. So, is, is there any comfort that God provides to Ezekiel here? No, none. There, there will be. He will talk about the remnant over in chapter 11. But at this point, he's not, you know, the response is, now that they're exceedingly wicked, you know. Right, exactly. It's their fault. Right. Right. Yep. Right. And if you look at this, it's talking about the, the temple here. I mean, what is the temple of God now? Us. Second Corinthians chapter 6, right? So that, that applies to us. So the same thing, all of the abominations and the sins that some of them are doing in secret and they say that God doesn't see, they're allowing that in whenever they allow that in. It's, it's forcing God out. Same way with us. When we allow sin in, um, you know, we cannot serve God and mammon. So whenever we allow sin in and do those abominable things, it will force God out. Because God can't live in the presence of sin. Right? Right. I think it was around 1440, 1450 B.C., I think when the law was given there at Mount Sinai, around 1500, somewhere in there. And then at this point, this is the um, sixth year of the captivity. So this would be in around 592, 591 B.C. So you see that period of around 1,000 years for when it was first given to where they had come to. And, you know, it's interesting also because you see Shaphan, um, you know, the scribe that read the book of the law to Josiah, and Josiah went on this this purging, you know, of of, of the land. But you see, then his son Jaz and I participating in and leading these people that are committing these abominations. So we see him in the midst there. So it's it's one generation, you know. Okay, and then that was the first bell, right? Okay, so let's let's uh, I'll have to speed up a little bit here. Um, so we see the, the sins, the abominations that are committed in chapter 8 uh, that forces God further and further away from His temple. And you can see how, how it's not just an immediate thing because God is still continuing to hang on and hang on and hang on, but, but eventually they just continue to force Him out. So in chapter 10, uh, we see the, the man in linen again. He's commanded to take coals from fire from the cherubim, from among the cherubim, scatter them over the city, sort of symbolic of purging or cleansing the city. Uh, and, and we know that it will eventually be burned by the Babylonians. Uh, we see there in verses uh, chapter 10, verses 3 through 4, the glory of God goes up from the cherubim. This is on the south side where the, the holiest of holies of the temple would be located. And it pauses at the threshold of the temple. In verses 6 and 7, we see where uh, they, they implement what God has commanded them. So the men in linen take the coals, they, they go out, and 
throughout this chapter, in, in chapter 10, we see uh, within this vision, another vision, I guess you could say, uh, and, and it's the same vision that Ezekiel saw in chapter 1 and also in chapter 3. So it's the glory of the God of Israel. He sees them. There are four main parts of that vision. Do you remember what they were? The living creatures, which we now know as the cherubim from chapter 10. The wheels of the living creature. We see the expanse and then the throne and, and uh, the likeness of a throne and him sitting on that. So we see this vision again, and Ezekiel says there in a little bit later in chapter 10, he said he knew, uh, verse 20, he said, This is the living creature I saw under the God of Israel by the river Kibar, which is where he saw his first vision. So he sees that vision again in this. And then we see there, uh, specifically in verse 18, it says, The glory of God departs from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim at the east gate. So the east gate was the entrance in into uh, the temple. Chapter 11, uh, the promise of a remnant. Uh, so we see God departing, promise of a remnant. So uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 12, we see Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel has shown the ones that devise iniquity uh, and give wicked counsel, and he's told to prophesy against them. There are a couple of names given there, Jaz 9, also Talatiah. Um, and he begins to, uh, and when he's prophesying against them, there in verse 13, he sees that one of them dies, and Ezekiel cries out to God again and asks the question. He says, will you make a complete end of the remnant of Israel? And then God's response this time is not just that, well, they're evil, they're, you know, the, abom- the abominations are causing this, They, you know, my eye will not spare, but... He actually starts talking about a remnant that will be saved. So all of the children of Israel will eventually go captive into Babylon. There's still one more wave. I think this is the sixth year. So in the ninth year, three more years, the city is going to be laid siege to. And then the eleventh year, this is when Nebuchadnezzar will completely destroy Jerusalem, burn the temple, you know, destroy everything and bring all of them captive into Babylon. The ones that survive, I guess you could say. And so, in, in okay, that, I guess that's the end. So, uh, the, the end of the chapter uh, ends with, uh, was it the 14th through the rest of the chapter, talks about how God will be a sanctuary for them while they're in Babylon and that He will eventually bring them back uh, to the land of Israel, as prophesied by Jeremiah in, in Second Chronicles chapter 36. So, but I think the main point we did get to, we talked about how this kind of applies to us and how we can drive God away because of the abominations or the secret sins that we commit. And we should know that God sees even the secret things, right? So, okay. All right, good. Thanks a lot for your attention.